Hi, this is Damien Christoph from 100 Not Out and The Wellness Guys. Become a change maker in the health industry today. All you need to do is enroll for the functional nutrition course and become an internationally recognized expert on the vitalistic philosophy of food and nutrition with our friends at the Functional Nutrition Academy. Register now and receive a six-week bonus accreditation course providing you with the business tools to start and grow your own business and a whopping $1,000 discount. So don't delay and start your health career today at www.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash functional. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Sit back, light the fire, kick your shoes off, because it's time for That Paleo Show with your favorite caveman, Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Brett Hill, and this week I'm joined by Dan Perryman. He had a 20-year career working as a healthcare uh, executive, which allowed him to work in lots of different places, uh, but then he decided he wanted to change tact a little bit and become a leader in the low-carb movement. So he now has a podcast called The Low Carb Leader and is passionate about helping people make change uh, and has made some amazing changes himself, including... Um, massive changes to his physique and doing physique shows and competitions and all those sort of things as well, which we'll talk about as we go forwards. But for now, welcome to the show, Dan Perryman. Hey, thank you so much. Glad to be here. Mate, it's a great story because it seems like a, you know there's been a bit of change, I guess, you know, not late in life, but later in life than perhaps some others do. Yeah. And so, um, you know, tell us a little bit about your journey. Uh, what, what got you into being a healthcare executive in the first place? Was there an interest in health or was that more just a career choice? Actually, it was, uh, it was actually just a career choice because I had, uh, so uh, just a little bit about me. So I, I grew up in um, Iowa in the Midwest and um, my dad and my brother and myself, we had a karate school. So we taught karate for like 10 years um, as teenagers. And then I went into the Navy after that. And then I came, I got out of the Navy and then went back to school and I had always wanted to be a lawyer. And so I, I got my undergraduate in political science and was getting ready to take the, the LSAT, the law school exam. And my brother, he's a couple years older than me, he said, uh, have you ever looked into healthcare administration? Because that's what he got his undergraduate in. And I was like, uh, I, not really. And so I looked into it. And I'm like, <laughs> hey, look, you know, looks like a great career. So at the I mean, at the last minute, I switched so last minute that I I don't even think I hit the deadline for grad school. I was like applying late, begging them to let me in. And I got in at the University of Iowa. And then my brother ended up going to law school. And yeah, we kind of switched, uh, switched around. careers. Yep, yep. So obviously 20 years in healthcare. Um, what did you learn from that? I mean, what sort of healthcare were you doing? Were you in sort of the more mainstream? You know, did you get exposed to any low-carb stuff at that stage? Or was it just, um, you know, was it just more the executive side of things? Oh yeah, there was there was no low carb uh, during my career. I mean, I was a hospital CEO, so I was very mainstream in uh, hospitals really across the country, uh, different sizes from small to large. And um, you know, I really I really enjoyed the career, uh, but it was it, so over the last five six years, I started really maybe seven eight years, I really started getting it into nutrition and learning more and more about it. 
And then that's where the distinctions really became clear because I hadn't really thought about it. Hospitals are very uh, mm. sick care type of institutions. It's There's no prevention. I mean, you know, in your profession as a chiropractor, it's, you're much more holistic in looking at it. Uh, mainstream doctors are are uh, pretty much they treat sick people. And so I started this podcast and started my journey on the side, absolutely separate from the hospital. So it was an interesting contrast between the two. And do you think what you were seeing in the hospital kind of helped shape that in terms of, you know, what you were seeing in terms of that sick care system and how that was working or not working and I guess how expensive it was was probably something that was pretty evident to you. Um, you know, do you think that's what helped push you in that direction of thinking, hey, maybe there's a different way of doing it and a better way of doing oh, it? Absolutely, yeah. It. I mean, for those that aren't familiar with the healthcare system in the U.S., I mean, it's probably the same throughout the world, but U.S., we have the highest cost healthcare system in the world, and the quality isn't isn't that high. I mean, from 11 industrialized countries, the U.S. is number 11, yeah. and and so, you know, and it's, I'm not, I'm not disparaging the U.S. healthcare system by any means because, you know, if, if you have a trauma or you have an acute episode, you definitely want it to be there. And, and I know great doctors, but, you know, the cost is so high because, you know, the majority is spent in the, the ICUs in the last six months of life. And, and there's no focus on keeping people out of the hospital. And that's, I think that's how we'll, ch- we'll change the healthcare system and save, you know, trillions of dollars because right now in the U.S. it's like 17% of the GDP and it's, it's going to go up even more and more. And it's because we're just treating more and more sick people. And right now in the U.S., 10,000 people a day are turning 65 and going into Medicare. So it's just going to get worse and worse. Yeah, and you know, I think in Australia, we often like to think, you know, we like to look at America and think, oh, aren't they bad? Look how unhealthy they are, you know, whatever. But actually, the stats in Australia are scarily similar. You know, there's actually not a massive difference between what we see in terms of their healthcare outcomes in Australia versus what you're seeing in America. And, you know, one of the things we look at here is I know, you know, the the amount spent on prevention in Australia is about 2 or 3% of the healthcare budget. You know, it's tiny. And even then, most of what is actually spent on prevention isn't really spent on prevention at all. You know, they label it prevention, but actually what it is is early detection, you know, which is not a bad thing. You know, if early detection of things like, you know, prostate cancer and things like that is, you know, early detection is better than late detection, but, you know, prevention is a totally different thing altogether and, and we're really not spending much money on that at all. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, I mean, it's a big deal in the in the U.S. system to get people to go to their you know, their annual checkups. That's what we consider prevention mm. yeah. in the U.S. Yeah. It, and, and as you know, I mean, I know, I know a lot of MDs and none of them know anything about nutrition. None of them. And they'll be the first ones to admit they don't. They say we don't, we've never been trained on it. We, I think they spend four hours, something yeah. like that, a four hour class in med school. Yeah, well, you know, people listening to this show will, will probably heard me talk before, but you know, many of my friends are doctors, and then they're great guys, and they're great at what they do. And as you said, when it comes to crisis care, you know, they're great at that. You know, if I if I was having, you know, if I was halfway through having a heart attack, I wouldn't go to one of my chiropractor mates. I'd go to one of my <laughs> right, doctor mates, right. you know, because that's what they're great at. But yeah, when it comes to 
diet and exercise and, and all mindset and all, all those other aspects of health and well-being, it, it's just not really what they focus on and it's not really what they do. And I guess I've found it fascinating over the last 20 or so years, you know, I've been playing an indoor cricket team with these guys and, you know, I guess in the probably still now, you know, I've always been the odd one, you know, the weird one, the kind of quack who was doing all this weird diet stuff yeah, and this yeah. weird exercise stuff and, you know, it was just a little bit left field and a little bit different. But um, as you said, you know, they, they don't have a lot of education in terms of, you know, nutrition and, and those side of things as well. And it's kind of interesting 20 years on that, you know, I guess I've been able to maintain a level of health and fitness that perhaps some of the others haven't. And, and it, you know, it's started to flip around now where all of a sudden they're realizing they don't have that knowledge around what to eat and when to eat it. And they're sort of starting to ask those questions, which is really cool to see. But, uh, but it just kind of shows that that's just not, you know, it's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just not their field of expertise and it's not what they spend time studying. You know, they spend a lot of time on pharmacology and they spend a lot of time on pathology, but not a lot of time on, you know, how things are supposed to work, you know, biology and, um, you know, how things work when they're supposed to be working right. You know, they're very much focused on waiting till it goes wrong and then trying to do something about it. So, um, you know, you obviously branched out from that and uh, started looking into nutrition. So, what was it that sparked you to think, hey, I need to take a closer look at nutrition? Aside from, I guess, the, you know, the experience in the hospital, was there any personal, you know, experiences or health concerns that sparked you to think, I need to look at my nutrition a bit more closely? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a bad uh, health experience because I was, I've always been, normal size. So I was probably at the time I might've been like 230. So I was a little bit heavy. I kind of look back at some of the pictures now and I'm like, wow, I, I was a little heavier back then, but I was actually just, I was at work and I was looking for a way to avoid that after lunch crash. And it was, it was so bad. I would just be sitting there. I'd just be exhausted in the afternoon. And I'm like, that this isn't right. The energy. And then the other issue was um, and this had been happening my whole life, and I really never thought about it. Like, especially if I get up and I eat like French toast was like was the activator. If I would eat French toast, like within an hour and a half, I would be like sh- shake so shaky that I couldn't even function. And I'm like, well, that's this is something bad that's happening. And so I I just I didn't really have a a really bad it, bad experience. It was just these couple conditions that I wanted to try to deal with, and then I actually just I didn't even know I was doing low carb at the time. I'm like, I'm just going to eat a salad. I'm not going to eat breakfast and I'm I'm going to eat a salad. And I was like, hey, I feel better. And so that one thing kind of spiraled into the other. And then my son, he's 24. He had been studying ketogenic and low carb. And he's like, Mm. he was actually giving me advice. And kind of one thing led to another. And then, you know, seven, eight years later, I have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's great that you picked up on those signals, I reckon, because I think for so many people in our society, you know, we see those signals and it might be the mid-afternoon crash. It, it might be just feeling a little bit jittery. It might be, you know, your energy or your immune system or, you know, whatever it is. And, and we, we, I guess we look around us and we see how common it is for people to doing that. You know, that, that mid-afternoon crash for anyone who works in an office, you know, it's, it's a pandemic. You know, everyone kind of does the same thing. And so, for many people, we just start to think it's normal and just accept it rather than recognizing it as, I guess, an early sign that maybe our body isn't functioning as well as it can be. And, and maybe if we keep ignoring that, then that might lead to more problems down the track as well. Right, right, exactly. Um, so you started making some changes, you know, you started eating a salad, you know, you're getting this information from your son. What was the hardest bit for you to start changing? Yeah, I mean, I, I was, I ate terrible. I mean, I, I ate really bad, just fast food all the time and, you know, 
sugar all the time. I, you know, I wasn't a big soda drinker, so that was probably good. But I just ate, I just ate bad food. And once I started doing it, uh, just the planning was a little bit more difficult because, you know, I, I kind of have that personality where I'm like, it's, it's all or none. So like, as soon as I kind of figured out this low carb thing, I'm like, all right, I'm all in. <laughs> and so going from running by the fast food restaurant after work and eating a Dairy Queen or eating ice cream or something to kind of planning around eating better and then thinking, okay, well, what are they going to have at work? And so that, that was probably the biggest uh, challenge for me because luckily I can eat the same food over and over. And that's, <laughs> I, you know, I know a lot of people can't do it, but that's actually, that's a benefit. I mean, I can eat literally the same stuff day after day. And so, uh, but planning and then, you know, the social aspect of it. And I still, um, you know, I, I stay pretty ketogenic now and low carb, just really low carb. I just, I just eat vegetables basically, but there's times where I don't go out very often and eat dinner, but when I do, it's, you know, I, I'll eat pasta or I'll eat, uh, whatever everybody else is eating. Uh, the one thing I never do now, though, is I never eat dessert. I just don't. And, but that social aspect of it, I, I think that's a tip is that you don't have to give that up. There's options too. You don't have to change your life so dramatically that, you know, he'd become a recluse trying to eat the right way. I think there's a good balance. Yeah, and I guess the, the hardest bit about that, I think, is the social pressure. You know, a lot of people find it hard to go out in that social situation and, and I guess say no when everyone else is eating dessert or, you know, and it's not as much about the fact that you need the dessert often, it's just the social thing of being the odd one out. You know, we have such an innate drive to want to fit in and be part of the tribe um, that, that, you know, consciously being the odd one out and saying no can be quite challenging. I mean, did, did you find that challenging? You seem like the sort of person who doesn't really fuss about that too much. You're quite happy to be the odd one out, but did you find that challenging? Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, I, absolutely. The uh, Actually, not really. It wasn't really challenging from my perspective, but like it was just odd because, I mean, I, I would, I was to the point where, especially during contest prep, the physique shows, where I just wouldn't eat. I mean, and as a CEO in a hospital, there's a lot of lunches and dinners and I'd sit there and not eat. And, uh, you know, it was just kind of funny to drink my water. And then, and so seriously, like at, at the last hospital I was at, it took, it took everybody like almost a year to kind of accept it. And then, you know, most recently they're like, Oh, Dan never eats or Dan, he's, he's a weirdo or whatever, you know? So, uh, but it actually took a long time for people to kind of accept it. And, and I didn't mind. I don't mind sitting there not eating, but I can see why people would have a real challenge with that. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, um, you know, Australia is somewhere that has quite a culture around drinking. Um, and so, you know, for me, I, I gave up drinking for about eight years and didn't drink at all. And I saw people, you know, people were really challenged by that. It was, it was actually a real eye-opener to see people's reactions to the fact that you weren't doing it because... Uh, I guess in some ways people see it perhaps as a reflection on themselves and, and it maybe gets them to start thinking about what they're doing themselves. And um, as I said, people could be really quite confronted and quite challenged by that idea. I imagine it was the same for you not eating. Yeah, I think that's an awesome point you just brought up. Just because, yeah, it makes it does make them confront it. So, 
And they'll, then they'll start asking questions. And that, that's always funny, too, because they ask you questions that they don't want the answer to. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, like, why are you not eating or why do you eat a certain way? And then as soon as you start saying, well, you know, there's uh, there's some negative sides to eating bread every day. And they're like, well, you know, I got to eat my bread. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it, I'm sure it's the same way down there, you know, with with, uh, you know, the same way if I go out with friends and I, I don't drink. It took. It took like a long time of me saying no um, oh, yeah. to drink to drinking as well, and that was I, I'm with you. That was very odd. It's just people don't they just don't want you not to drink or <laughs> to yeah. eat healthy if they're not if they're not doing it because I think you're, I think you're right. It does make them sit back and say, well, maybe should I be doing this or yeah. Yeah, and it's funny, I think people feel like they're being judged as well, you know, like I was coming from a very non-judgmental place, like I was like, you know, happy for everyone to be doing what they want, if they wanted to eat what they want, if they want to drink what they want, like, that's your thing, you know, it doesn't bother me at all, but people, because you weren't doing it, people really felt like you were you were judging them, you were sitting back and sort of looking at them and, and passing judgment about what they were doing, um, even though I wasn't, and, and I found that be a really interesting aspect of it as well. Yeah, so true. That, that is such a good point because uh, I'll have people that eat carbs because I know I have this podcast <laughs> and we'll be sitting there and they'll eat a piece of bread or whatever they eat and they'll like explain it to me. And I'm like, I don't care what you eat. I mean, I would pre- I would prefer that you ate healthy and I can give you the data behind this, but it's yeah. okay. Eat your Big Mac. I, I, it's okay. You know, but they constantly they would explain it was almost like you were catching your kids eating a cookie when they weren't <laughs> supposed to yeah it's very very odd though it's funny how we have these conversations in our head isn't it and i think so often we think people think about us so much more than they actually do you know we, we have these we so we often and you know we're all the same we, we're concerned about what are they thinking about me what are they saying about me are they judging me and most of the time they're not thinking about you at all they're just thinking about something totally different and and probably related to themselves not related to you and um but it's funny yeah. how we just have these ideas that everyone's thinking of us and everyone's judging us yeah that's uh that's one thing uh, I'll tell people that they have to speak in front of the public and they'll say, I, you know, I'm so nervous about speaking publicly. And and I'll say, nobody's listening to you anyway. <laughs> you know, everybody's on their iPhones. And unless you're like this amazing dynamic speaker or you have a really good message, a lot of people don't pay attention anyway. So I'm like, don't, you know, don't flatter yourself. You're uh, <laughs> you're, you're going to be all right. Hey, um, you know, with the not eating thing, you know, was there any stages where people around you were concerned about that? I mean, it's, uh, you know, there's obviously a, there's a line there somewhere where, you know, sometimes people are not eating because they're nourishing themselves well and they're, you know, they're filling themselves with good fuel and, and they're not hungry and they're not required to eat. And I guess sometimes people can slip over from that and be not eating uh, for other reasons uh, because they're wanting to try and lose weight or, or whatever and, and perhaps, and, you know, perhaps not loving themselves and nourishing themselves as much as denying themselves and starving themselves to try and get a net result. Um, you know, did you ever, um, you know, did you ever have people concerned about that in regards to you? Yeah, that, that's funny you say that in the, in the hospital though, especially if I said I'm intermittent fasting and I'm keto, as soon as I say the word keto in the hospital, it, doctors are like, Oh, ketoacidosis, you're going to, that's a terrible condition. And I'm like, uh, well, no, uh, it's not exactly the same. Uh, and so talking them through that, but yeah, people don't understand intermittent fasting. And personally, yeah. um, 
I really never did it for weight loss ever. Mm. Um, because I mean, I was at two thirty when I, when I did the physique shows, I got down to like, I, I think one sixty six or something. And that's, that was all planned. I mean, around the show and everything, but when I do it now, it's just to get the benefits of autophagy and the, all the benefits around, uh, insulin with fasting. And so, uh, I didn't, I don't really tell people like I had a close, close group that they would say, you want to get something to eat? And I'd say, Oh, I'm fasting or whatever. Mm. And so, you know, at, I made a lot of excuses too. like, we'd be at lunch and I'm like, Oh, I just, I just ate, you know, and the, this is, this is actually something that works. And then, I mean, after a while they caught on to it because <laughs> the same people over and over, but, uh, you know, for, if you're at, if you're at the workplace and somebody brings in cookies um, you know, I would always say, oh, you know what? I just ate a cookie. I'm okay. Yeah. And nobody would, they'd be, oh, okay. You know, so I think that's a tactic <laughs> yeah, that's, like, that's okay then, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. As long as, yeah, as, as you've had... met your cookie quota, you know, we're happy. <laughs> I, I think you're right, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, it's it's fascinating. And, uh, you know, I've always, I guess, you know, I've done intermittent fasting for a number of years now and, and not deliberately, you know, just because, as you said, often it's just because I'm full. You know, I've, I've filled up and I've nourished my body. And I'm just not that hungry, and, and I might just get busy, and I'd lose track, and before I know it, I've you know I've missed breakfast or I've missed lunch, and I'm I'm at dinner because I wasn't that hungry, and it didn't really bother me. Uh, but I guess I always have that reluctance about you know, or, or I'm always really careful about how I communicate that and how I talk to people about that because I'm aware of I guess the risk of people uh, fasting inappropriately, and you know I look at some of these diets like the five and two diet and those sort of things, and and it seems you know some of the diets are seemingly saying to people well you can kind of eat whatever you want and then fast for a couple of days and. And I really worry about that in terms of people, um, you know, not getting enough nutrients essentially. Because if you're eating a nutrient poor diet and then fasting, you know, as opposed to eating a really nutrient dense diet and then fasting, I think it's a very different thing for your body. So, do you ever worry about that when you're talking about your fasting of you know how people are going to take it and use it and, and whether they're doing it appropriately? Yeah, absolutely. So what I usually tell people is that, you know, if you're ketogenic or low carb or you're re- eating really healthy. Um, then fasting has a place. But if you're just fasting till noon before you eat your chicken fingers and fries, uh, it's not going to have the effect. And, and and in fact, I share that you're going to be starving if you're oh, yeah. if you're eating that type of food and you're on a really high carb. You know, I, I don't know what you, we call it the standard American diet here. That's, uh, yeah. you know, what led, led to obesity. Um, do you call it the standard Australian we, diet? We, yeah, we often talk about it. We, we often actually talk about the standard American diet or the standard Australian <laughs> yeah. diet, and they're kind of they're really interchangeable. I mean, you know, as much as we, like I said, we love to think that you know you guys eat so much more junk food than us, and you know your diets are so much worse. But the reality is, unfortunately, they're not that much different. Yeah, well, we like to set the bar for everybody. <laughs> 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 yeah, so uh, I really tell people if if you're living a healthy lifestyle then intermittent fasting has a, has a place. But if you're not, then you need to fix that part of it first before you start using these additional tools. And then another thing I see is like a lot of thin women will come to me and say, you know, hey, tell me about this fasting. And I'm like, you don't yeah. need to be doing that. You know, you know uh, it's, it's funny because it's the real thin ones that typically want to do the fasting. Yeah. And that's, that's probably not the best tool for them to use. 
No, and uh, you know there seems to be some uh, information out there suggesting that that maybe for women in general that the fasting is not as good an idea because you know their bodies don't necessarily deal with that from a from a hormone balance perspective as well as the guys do either. Right. So it's you know it's certainly something people need to be conscious of and make sure it's working for them. I reckon. But um, let's talk about the low carb leader. Let's talk about your pod, your website and your podcast show particularly. What made you decide you wanted to do a podcast? Well, you know, I, like maybe about a year ago, I was. Uh trying to figure out, like, I want to share a message, right? And so I was, I've spent a lot of time in leadership. And so I, I was like, well, I, I, I could start a blog, but I don't like to write that much every day, <laughs> you know, and it, it sounds appealing. And then I read like, there's, I don't even remember the number. There's so many blogs out there. And then I, I came across podcasting and I'm an audiobook lover. I love listening to audiobooks and I'm like, you know, kind of discovered the podcast and I thought this is a great tool. So obviously, and at this time I had been studying nutrition for a long time and uh, working out and doing all that. But I thought, well, I'll do a I'll do a podcast on leadership for new leaders because they really need this. And I did about 10 I ended up doing 15 episodes on leadership, but mm. first of all, like nobody was nobody was interested and <laughs> You know, uh, which just that was actually a big surprise to me. I'm like, there's all these young leaders who it's really hard to get leadership, men, you know, mentorship. And and I thought people would just kind of flock to it and they didn't. Uh, but then personally, I would work all day. I'd come home at night and I'd have to deal with this leadership podcast. And I'm like, I don't, I'm not having fun with this. This isn't my passion. And and I think it was my son's like, why don't you think about a nutrition podcast that's what we that's all we talk about and so i just uh i just switched it over the funny part is so i uh i hired this website designer and you know pretty expensive and uh she got done redoing my entire website you know it looked great and i'm like i'm changing the <laughs> format you know so uh, uh i'm sure she was happy about that but so then i i went to low carb later and since i follow pretty low carb diet and you know, uh, I've enjoyed. I'm on going on episode 48 or 49, and it's nice. uh, it's it's been great. I love. I not only love interviewing people and talking about it, but you know, when I go through and edit the podcast and you know do all the stuff that you have to do, I enjoy it. I like listening to it. I learn a lot, and so it, it, it's been a great great journey for me. The podcast. Yeah, it's it's a great thing podcasting, isn't it? I mean, it's amazing to be able to go and just have that exposure to so many different people and to delve into something you're so passionate about and and to get to share it is uh, is really cool. And and obviously, you know, when people start using some of that information and making changes, and you know, it can be very very rewarding. So, um, tell us about the combination, the low carb and the leader. I'm I'm kind of interested to know, you know, how much of your podcast is about leadership now, and how much of it is about the low carb stuff, and how do you see those two gelling together? Yeah, I kind of use that title just, uh, I, you know, to be a little clever, I guess. I don't know if it was clever or not, but I was, uh, since I was in leadership and uh, my previous podcast was around leadership. And so I thought, you know, what would be a cool thing? The low carb leader. So I kind of came up with that. But I think, I think we're all, uh, we all need to lead our own health. We need to inform ourselves. And so really none of it's about leadership. It's just, it's about low carb. Yeah, but I, I do say I try to take a really holistic approach because if uh, like if you look at the episodes, I have yoga. I just interviewed 
a vegan husband and wife who are nice. are in gr- are in great shape. Chiropractors. Actually, I'm not saying this just because I'm talking to you about <laughs> chiropractor. Chiropractors really are um, one of one of my best guests bec- guests because they have they have such a, a they have a medical plus they have a nutritional functional medicine view and I think that's a great place to to be. And so uh, just a very holistic approach and um, open to um, you know any guest, even if they if they have science behind why you want more carbs if you're a fitness at, athlete, then that's great. You know, so it's just about it's not about my message; it's about just getting information out there. Yeah, and that's great. And you know, I mean, we've been doing our podcast shows now. Uh, you know, the Wellness Guys, which is our main show, we do. Uh, you know, has been going for six years now. Um, this show, that Paleo show, is uh, I think coming up to five years. We've been doing it for, and I tell you what, you know, the leadership aspect of it really does come in though, because what we found over that journey is, you know, people do make those changes within themselves, but then all of a sudden, once they've made those changes within themselves, they just by default become a leader. You know, all of a sudden, their family starts looking to them as far as well, what should I be doing, and what should I be eating, and how should I be looking after my health, and then. You know, once their family gets on board, then their community starts looking at them and saying, hey, what are you doing differently and how do you do that and what do you cook and what recipes do you use? So, you know, I think that that leadership aspect of it really does come in when people start on a health journey is that, you know, lots of other people will gravitate towards you and you will become a leader almost by default in many ways. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Because there's not this, there's not that many people trying to be healthy. There's... Mm. There's a, I mean, in the right way. I mean, there's a lot of people who say, hey, you know, I want to get in shape, so I'm going to join a gym January 1st, and then three weeks later, they're, they, they don't go again, and, but they don't know how to get there. And I, I feel bad for people because they really try hard. I mean, the yeah. people that do these yo-yo diets, and they're trying their best. It's just they, sometimes they don't have the right information because there's a lot of conflicting information out there on the internet. Yeah, and you know, it's often it's not even that, not even just that they don't know how to get healthy. It's actually often they don't even know what healthy actually really is. Right, right. And so you know, we're so used to being sick and everyone around us being sick, and we start to think that that's normal, or we think that healthy is you know getting in shape in six weeks' time for a you know, for the beach or for the wedding or whatever it is. But actually, you know, healthy is, healthy is a journey, and it's a long journey. You know, it's it's not a quick fix, and. Yeah, you know, having that. I think that philosophy. You know, you talk about the chiropractors. We have that philosophy around health that is, you know, really radically different in that it is a journey. You know, it's not a quick fix. It's about resolving, and, and it's a lifestyle. It's a lifetime endeavor, um, not just a short-term change. And I think that's really, you know, that real understanding of what health actually is and how to actually get there. I think is missing from, you know, a lot of our educations and a lot of our upbringings. Yeah, and it, and the journey changes. You know, I mean. I wasn't even thinking about it, but 10 years ago, uh, you know, I wanted to stay healthy. Five years ago, I'm thinking, okay, how do I get healthy? But now I want to do a physique show. So the eating and the training is different. But now that I'm 50, almost 50, you know, I, I kind of reflected on my family and I have a lot of dementia and cancer in my family. Yeah. And so now, now I'm really on a journey of what's the best approach to stay mentally sharp, physically sharp and you know having popping muscles like I wanted when I was 18 doesn't matter to me anymore it's about I want to spend the next 30 or 40 years or however long I live healthy I, I don't want to spend the next 30 years sick and yeah. so 
I think the journey changes, but overall, there's a theme of health underneath everything. Yeah, and you know, and I think that's a really important point because you know, while we talk about the healthcare system before, and and you know, understanding this crisis crisis care system we've got, what you know, what it's quite good at is keeping people alive, and so we are seeing you know increases in life expectancy, although that may be changing soon. But uh, but what we're seeing a bigger increase in is years of morbidity where you know people are alive but they're just not getting any sort of quality of life and i think that's what we're speaking to here is you know that's where the quality of your health and the quality of your life comes in and particularly as you get older you know that can be drastically different and and the sooner you start working on that and changing that then the bigger effect you're going to have on that as well yeah and people you know people work till they're 65 years old and then a lot of them are really sick yeah. and so you spend your whole life working and then you're sick and you're right i mean especially in the medical field, you see the ICUs and you see these 90, 95 year olds and, and they're just, they've been sick for a long time. They have a miserable quality of life and that's just no way to live. Yeah. And, you know, and you're right. We can keep you alive. Yeah. We're good at that. You know, that, that's what we're good at in the, in the hospital business is keeping you alive, whether it's a great quality of life or not. Yeah, and so you know, it's interesting. We spoke about the you know taking a long term view and, and the difference that can make in terms of your health. But you know, there's still a time and a place for a you know for a short term change as well. You know, I find that you know very often people start on their journey, and it might be a six week program, it might be a thirty day program, whatever it is, and they're actually able to sort of delve in deep. And and I guess for some people, probably like yourself, you know, some people and and probably a small percentage of people are able to just do that and make the change and stick with it and just go with it. You know. Um, for the for the large percentage of people, they find it hard to stick with those and to keep going on. I guess that more rigid structure, but I still think they're useful. You know, what it's able to do is to allow people to see what's possible, um, and and then that allows them to sort of you know shift their mindset around what is possible and how much their lifestyle affects their health, and then they're able to go back and you know maybe more step by step, maybe more slowly make the changes that are going to allow them to get where they want to be in the longer term as well but you know i think either way there's something to be said for some of those shorter term programs in terms of making the change so you know you have got one of these you've got a six-week uh pdf uh low-carb pdf tell us a little bit about that and and what what you've got for people in that pdf yeah so if you go to the lowcarbladercom and just on the on the right hand sidebar uh, there's a little uh area you can click on and it's a six-week it's i call it low-carb ease it's just it's free and it's just six weeks and it's it's an incremental approach like week one is about sodas so if you only drink one soda then just quit drinking them if you're drinking five a day cut it down and so then the next week is to add something else healthy in and so by the time you get done with six weeks you'll have done six kind of major things and so and, and i'm sure you'll be feeling better and then a couple days into it You'll get this other PDF that's uh, a couple tips on sleep because like and nobody wants to talk about sleep because it's it's not sexy. It's not like working out. But I believe if you can't get your sleep in order and that's talking about quality of sleep, not just quantity, uh, that's like the first step to becoming healthier. I try to convince people it's really hard to lose weight if you're not sleeping well. Yeah. And that's that seems to to be the only thing they want to listen to. But <laughs> I mean, as you know, sleep is like just critical to your health. 
Yeah, it's huge. So, mate, thank you so much for coming on board today. We're coming over out of time already. It's been a great chat. Um, I'm sure people are going to want to check you out, check out your website, check out your podcast, uh, and check you out on social media. So, you know, I heard you say before you've got 50,000 fans on Facebook. So, yeah, obviously yeah. doing something right there. So, well, thank you. They can head to your website, which is lowcarbleader.com. They can find out the links to your podcast, the links to all of your social media there, but it is Low Carb Leader on Facebook as well. Um, and obviously, they can find the link to your uh, Low Carb Ease PDF as well. So, thanks so much Perfect. for coming on board, mate. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Too easy. Um, for everyone else, until next week, join the conversation on Facebook. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Join our newsletter list at thatpaleoshow.com and let's help grow the paleo tribe worldwide. Join us next week on That Paleo Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.